This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is episode 672 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head, number one, the internet's Joe Patrick, and it's a sad day in the ziggurat as we say a painful goodbye to the Choco Taco. My name is Matt Baum, I'm your head, number two, and I've been hoarding Choco Tacos for years, knowing this day would come. You want to know who killed the Choco Taco? Look in the mirror, sheeple. Wow. This week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, and it's got us reading and discussing classic back-issue comics based on a theme. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to talk about our must-read picks for next week. But now the Cosmic Longbox is opening, bathing us in weird energy, which means it's back-issue review time in the ziggurat! Our theme this week is dark, but it's one we gotta talk about. You may have noticed the environment is falling apart. The world is heating up, and as George Carlin once said, it appears the Earth is getting ready to sweat us off like a bad fever. Well, Congress may not give a shit about the environment, but the Cosmic Long Box does. So this time, it's got us reading a group of comics set on a post-apocalyptic Earth. What happens when the Earth gets too hot, too cold, or completely explodes? Of course, we'll be applying our confounding rating scale of buy it, skim it, or leave it, but we'll also be discussing each apocalypse, too. Joey Patrick, why don't you get us started on our first tale of post-apocalyptic Earth? My first review is of Commandy, the last boy on Earth number one. It is from DC Comics. 1972 was the year. It's written and drawn by Jack Kirby. And here's a description for you. Commandy, one of the few survivors of the great disaster that has destroyed civilization, must make his way in a world populated by bizarre, mutated animals and other strange wonders. Considered one of Jack Kirby's most creative works, Commandy features a band of anthropomorphic supporting characters who accompany Commandy as he searches for answers and adventure across the wastelands of Earth. As excited as I was to review New Gods a while back, I was not at all excited to tackle Commandy. Uh, I have just never really been interested in this corner of the post-apocalypse, like the planet of the apes-ish future humans dealing with talking animal creatures and a collapsed civilization. It's just not, I find it kind of boring. It's not my cup of meat. I should have known better because Kirby elevated every concept he ever touched. Commandy number one hits the ground, or in this case, the water, running with an absolutely stunning double-page spread of the last boy on Earth paddling a tiny life raft through the flooded ruins of New York City. Is water full of Kirby crackle? It sure as hell should be. Unsurprisingly, the issue moves at a breakneck pace. You wouldn't have time to get bored even if you wanted to. In the first ten pages... Commandy terrorizes a group of primitive humans, electrocutes a wolfman, and takes a hot-wired future Winnebago on a road trip. He's a wolfman. It's not like, you know... Like, it's a wolfman. <laughs> he doesn't own a uh, Jewish deli is, called uh, he's, yeah, he's a Jew. He is of the, of the East, Hamptons, uh, East Hampton Wolfmans. And that is all before the War of the Tiger Men, the Slave Pen Revolution, and attempted suicide by nuclear holocaust. Yeah, he was ready to do it. He was like, screw all this! And he goes hard. <laughs> uh, and he's like, I'm done with this life! 
this comic is more full of ideas than any 10 others, assuming those 10 aren't also by Jack Kirby. The art is insanely wonderful, of course, even though it looks like Kirby had only the barest idea of what some animals looked like. Yeah. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's a tiger that walks like a man. If you look at it from the front, it looks like a tiger face. Yeah. Um, what dog is that, uh, Jack? What dog is that, well, Jack? But there was also like, it was like, oh, the tigers are fighting jaguars. I'm like, oh, well, they are. They're leopards. They're leopards. <laughs> so they just look like leopards yeah, with spots. Like, oh, okay. Or they look like tigers with spots. <laughs> but then also, there's also a, what I assumed was another dog in charge of the slave pens that looked more like a walrus. Yeah, might have been a walrus. I don't know. Well, it didn't have tusks, though, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Commanding number one is a complete blast to read from start to finish. I'm sorry I doubted you, King, but it's uh, definitely not a post-apocalypse that I'd want to live in. This is a huge buy. OK, what happened to this Earth? Uh, I'm, I'm so happy you asked. Like, how did we get here? There was only something vaguely uh, referenced as the Great Disaster, right? Which was an event that took place sometime after the OMAC continuity. Okay. Uh, so this uh, this takes place in the same timeline as OMAC, but in the future of OMAC. So like something happened post OMAC where like Earth is just totally boned, and what gives what come what gives way or what comes from that is mutated animals that rule the earth and then humans living like cave people. The reason Commandy does not act like an animal like the other humans do is because he was raised in a bunker right, by right. No, I no, by, I got uh, all that. I just don't I just don't yeah. know how we got here. That's like yeah, no, was it's it a just nuclear like war vague, or it, it was just I, something I, I, bad? It, it, the the great disaster I think has maybe been like many different things in DC lore. Uh as of Brian Michael Bendis's attempt to uh, recent attempt to tie all of DC's futures together. Um, this is not only the future of the current DC Earth, but uh, it is the future of the OMAC Earth and the Earth that gives way to the Legion of Superheroes. I'm just reading through a little bit, and it sounds like the Brian Michael Bendis stuff. After and I don't know if this is the Bendis stuff or not. After Earth 51 was destroyed and recreated, Monitor Solomon deliberately let the Great Disaster happen in this universe by sending the infected karate kid and his friends there. That's, that's not Bendis. That's okay. something else. That's something way before. That's way, way before. Ray Palmer Bendis. and Cadmus scientists failed to prevent the outbreak as humans devolved to develop animal features. Oh, that might be, oh, that was, I think that they were saying that that was um, Final Crisis. I think that's oh, Final Crisis, actually. Oh, Graham Morrison stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's yeah, that. Yeah, because, yeah, I, so I think they were, I think maybe they were like, yeah, Dark Side coming to Earth and conquering is the great disaster, and that's why we got, like, gotcha. Wonder Woman turning into a dog lady, and, you Okay, know. so the lesson we learned is, let's not weave Commandy into DC continuity. Too Just late, baby. Don't need to do it. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, as of, as of, as of DC Rebirth, I don't think Final Crisis is something you need to worry about anymore. Okay. And, um, but yeah, it's just like, yes, yeah, so at some point between now and Legion, you've, you've got an, a, a societal collapse and, and commanding. <laughs> and um, then everything gets better. <laughs> well, sure. But on like, you know, empires rise and fall. That's how sure. things go. I suppose. Uh, no, and this we're, is and great. we're operating on like the scale of a millennia here. So, so this comic, it's fantastic. It's Jack Kirby yeah. madness. Yeah. It, it looks gorgeous. I've read commandy before. I've got one of the like commandy hardcovers that DC put out just cause I bought all the Jack Kirby crap. And yeah, it's just great. It, it's a ton of fun. Commandy definitely needs to be medicated. Cause that kid is up. That kid is down. That kid is crazy. 
crazy. So <laughs> I'm getting a huge bite. It was a fun ride. I just, I started thinking about it after I read it and I was like, wait a minute. When does all this take place? And I could the not, future. I could not mash my brain into it's it. It's the so. future. Oh, help me, Dr. Sayers. Let's move from Planet of the Apes ripoffs to what Jurassic Park could have been with the very first kitchen sink book we've ever discussed on the Cosmic Longbox. Let's dive into Xenozoic Tales, number one from Kitchen Sink Press. The year was 1987. This was written and drawn by Mark Schultz. You might know this series under the other name it was reprinted as by Marvel and later Tops. It was called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. And the story follows man of action Jack Tenerick, or Tenrek, and scientist and love interest Hannah Whose Dundee. nickname is Cadillac. Yeah, Jack Cadillac Tenerick. And love interest Hannah Dundee in a world where man was forced underground for 400 years due to violent shifts in the Earth's weather patterns. Sort of like what we're going through today. When humanity came back to the surface, they discovered the planet had been flooded and retaken by dinosaurs in what they're now calling the Xenozoic Age. The first issue features three stories showing two tribes of man looking to put apart their differences and working together to survive. The second story follows Hannah and a curious cohort as they learn that pterosaurs can be used as an early warning system for fishermen plagued by giant sea dinosaurs. And the Very final handy. story follows Jack and Hannah as they trek through the interior bush outside the city where we learn Jack is not just a hero, he's an ecologist too, and he won't put up with people poaching dinosaurs. I remember seeing Xenozoic Tales covers in old Fantagraphics catalogs for years when I was younger. I never ordered the collections, but I always wanted them. There was just too much X stuff to read back in the day. Years later, I picked up the Marvel reprints of the first six issues and didn't really get it. Unlike the long-form monthly titles that I was reading at the time, Xenozoic Tales were just sort of like three or four stories told as vignettes in this world. There was continuity with the same characters, but the stories often stood alone and seemed to start in the middle of the action sometimes. The first story in this issue starts with very little introduction and just sort of drops the reader into the middle of two tribes meeting without much setup. Schultz is a master comic artist who grew up reading EC comics, copying the styles of other legends like Wally Wood and Frank Frazetta. His style is incredible, and it is obvious that he studied scientific drawings of dinosaurs for his research. Unlike Devil Dinosaur, for example, <laughs> just like what Jack Kirby thinks a dinosaur looks like. <laughs> this is the first time I revisited Xenozoic Tales in years, and now I want the complete kitchen sink collections more than ever. I'm giving this a huge buy it. And I love the mystery of the whole apocalypse where it's like, this doesn't make sense. We were gone for 400 years. And why are there dinosaurs everywhere? <laughs> like Nobody really knows. Well, I liked the idea. Our foot, our footprint was completely absent from yeah. the earth for four and a half centuries. Yeah. I mean, why did dinosaurs come back? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. As far as apocalypses go, it actually it also didn't seem that bad, really. Like you could you could live like ostensibly you could live in an apartment in a sunken skyscraper and be just fine and not have to like go out and hunt dinosaurs and shit. Well, I mean, nobody has power, you know, like like they're I mean, dinosaurs. They've got, they've got, they've got <laughs> something. I mean, I don't know. Listen, I don't think it was the best place to live. It seemed pretty rough to me. 
Um, yeah, no, I like this a lot, and I'm glad you mentioned Cadillacs and dinosaurs because I was uh, very confused at first when they called the guy Cadillac, and I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Is that is that just a, is that is this the same thing? And yeah, it is. It is the same thing. It's just his nickname. Um, I'm not sure if I buy that. Like Mark Schultz is any better at buying a di- uh, drawing a dinosaur than anybody else. We really only see like the one dinosaur that works for him, and uh, and then uh, there's the pterodactyls that you never see up close. So uh, I don't know. But it, the art is great. The art is beautiful. This is a buy it. And uh, yeah, I had never read this before. I was very pleasantly surprised. Mark Schultz. He's fantastic. God, he's good. Uh, I remember him. I remember him uh, very well uh, from writing. Uh, he wrote Superman, the Man of Steel for many years. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was great when when that book was one of the four week, you know, the four weekly Superman books that came out. And that was kind of like the sci fi one. Right. You you had like each one had a theme. You had like the superhero one and uh, the supporting cast one. And. Man of Steel was like the weird sci-fi one and uh it was always cuckoo crazy. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh I like I like Mark Schultz a lot. Okay. So. Let's jump forward another, I don't know, 600 years or so to the Legion of Superheroes number 38. Things got way better in Community World real fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I guess I don't know how far in between Commandy and Legion we're talking. You, but you can't think about it too hard. Uh, otherwise, from, just- But at least between, uh, between you know, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which was 450 years uh, in our future, to the Legion, which is a thousand years in our future, you know, that's a jump. Sure. This is from DC Comics 1992. It is written by Tom and Mary Beerbaum and Keith Giffen with art by Jason Pearson. Uh, Here is a a solicit courtesy of MyComicShop.com. Thank you, MyComicShop.com. On June 4th, 2995, the Earth will be destroyed. This issue features the single most cataclysmic event in the future history of the DC Universe. Other than the other cataclysmic events in the future of the DC universe. (laughs) Fans of the original Legionnaires will see the group reborn. Fans of the new Legion will watch it continue out among the stars. But everyone will see them evolve as never before. This is no hoax, no dream, no lie. As the real horror springs from the cause of the tragedy. At first it appears that the ruthless dominators are responsible. But it soon becomes apparent that humanity itself has sealed the fate of the planet as experiments ignite an explosive chain reaction of toxic waste stored for centuries beneath the world's surface. Wow. And Earth dies! Exclamation point. Requiem, one of the most critical stories in the long history of the Legion, is written by those people I mentioned, with dramatic single illustration pages by that other person I mentioned and inker Carl Story, and uses a narrative prose that tells the tale as chronicled by the 30th century's Devlin Orion. That's not really important, but, you know, I'll talk about him in a minute. Several months after Element Lad's fateful encounter with Siobhan slash Sean Aaron during the Dominator occupation of Earth, the invaders have been vanquished and the world is liberated. Unfortunately, the damage to the planet had been done and planet Earth is doomed. This issue tells the story of humanity struggling to survive the destruction to come, which goes just about as well as you'd expect. Disaster follows disaster as billions lose their lives in an attempt to escape Earth's destruction. Giffen and the beer bombs do an excellent job conveying the near futility of humanity's escape attempt. 
through the writing of future legionnaire Devlin Orion, a.k.a. Reflex. He would later become a legionnaire, but right now he's just a journalist. Logistically, there's only so much that can be done to preserve even a fraction of Earth's citizens, even with the aid of a forgotten planetary defense system built centuries earlier uh, during Commandy's time. Who can say? You can feel humanity's desperation and eventual acceptance through Devlin's words, even the ones that mention weird Legion clones. Again, it's not important. Really, nothing specific about the Legion or the previous story arc gets in the way of this very simple tale a story about humanity triumphing over insurmountable odds only to be brought to the brink of extinction by their own mistakes. Jason Pearson isn't the artist I'd normally think of to illustrate a prose story, but he does an admirable job welcoming death, with a capital D even, and kickstarting a new beginning. Legion of Superheroes 38 kicks off a completely different kind of post-apocalypse with a heart-wrenching story and beautiful art. I'm giving this a buy it. Like, this is a good story. Even if you're not up on the Legion, even if you haven't been reading the previous storyline, this is just like a standalone, like, Earth is f***ed. Here's how they try to survive. Can they survive? It's great. I love it. Yeah, the only thing that kept me going, like, was the fact that I didn't have to know anything or remember anything. They mentioned you don't have to know anything. Yeah, no. They mentioned like, oh, there was two brainiacs. I went, oh no, oh no, oh no. I don't. I'm yeah, not going not, back to this. Not important. Not important. <laughs> but they yeah. don't. They get out of it real quick, and it's just like a long, sad goodbye to Earth. And then like the escape plan goes wrong, and a bunch of people die there. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, hey, man, it's it's bleak. Yeah, it was a brutal uh, bummer. <laughs> it is a brutal bummer. Yeah. And this was all after that Dominators War that like the Dominator War ended. But as they do on their way out, the Dominators detonated a bunch of bombs. Right. Um, like, do you remember do you remember Invasion in the 80s? I mean, I remember I've never read it, but I remember. Okay, but, you know, you're, you're I know aware of it. it. Yeah. The, the whole point that like the Dominators big thing is that they've got this bomb that like Oops, it triggers the metagene in human beings. It's like, oh no, it, it kills it kills a lot of people, but like a handful of them become supermen, and See, that's yeah, bad. Yeah, that seems like I mean, I don't want to tell dominators how to dominate, but I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so they detonate they they detonated a bunch of uh of these bombs uh as they were like flipping the bird to earth on their way out, and that's how Devlin Orion ends up getting powers, but that's neither here nor there. You know, whatever, Earth is saved, but what they don't realize right away is that the bombs, the detonations set off a chain reaction, like a very Kryptonian style. Right. Chain right. reaction, uh, like geothermic reaction, uh, because of all of the shit humanity just buried. Yeah, there's a there's a really dealing good, with before like, they figured out how to survive. There's a really good if we don't deal with it now kind of message. Like this is gonna bite us yeah. in the ass later on, and that's exactly what we're dealing with now. And still, you right. know, rolling the ball down the <laughs> down the hill. Right, like, ah, right, yeah, we'll all be dead. About it. Like, yeah, I mean, sure, it's a little hotter. Who cares? Right? Yeah, you know, planet or planet or star, when that thing burns yeah. out, we'll all be dead. Right. Well, I mean, I will say they handled it better than Krypton did. I'll give them that. It still didn't go well right. for planet Earth. But yeah, no, I'm going to give this a buy it. it. It was really well written and it was very apocalyptic and just like slow and sad. And it yeah. wasn't like, it, it, yeah, there was like, no it, panic. Everybody was just like, well, I mean, we can't get everybody off. So I'll choose just to stay here and die, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess we're screwed. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's really good. Yeah. I liked it. I'm giving it a buy it. And <laughs> death from Sandman shows up. 
Yeah. Death from Sandman, which like turning pages and like, there's death. I'm like, whoa. I mean, like sort of. <laughs> there, there's death sort of. This is um, pre-Vertigo Sandman it, though. So this is a, like, the, a year before Vertigo. It all yeah, counts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So everybody yeah, was fun in stuff. There. Well, not fun, but. Oh, as far as the apocalypse is concerned, like. No, no, thank you, please. Uh, because the odds of you living in one of the cities that makes it off the planet are uh, uh, are slim. And even then, and the <laughs> and then even then, the odds of you the odds of you like making it through the very complicated docking procedure. Yeah, it was nightmare. Are man. no I much don't. slimmer. Uh, yeah, so it's like no, you're gonna you're probably gonna die. Except for the Legion, you know they all have fly rings and they can hang out. Well, they're space, too important so. to die. No big they're deal too for them. They're, right? They're too important to die, Matt. They're like the art. Like you got to save the artists. And BG the geniuses. Legion. And the superheroes. <laughs> yeah. And the rich people, obviously. Well, the Earth is still around this next one, but it is still 1987 where it takes place. This is Jeez. Winter World. 1987's a tough it was 1987 dark. is a tough year for it the was apocalypse. Dark. Now, if you think about the 80s, though, there was a lot of like environmental concern going on. There's oil spills and stuff. And and this is when we first like really started to think about like maybe we got to save the planet and save the whales and all this stuff so it was there in the late 80s and chuck dixon of all people was writing about it this is winter world number one from eclipse it was written by chuck dixon with art by jorge zafino here is your setup in a bleak and desolate future when our world has been encased in ice from pole to pole an amoral adventurer and an orphan girl form an unlikely alliance and together fight tooth and nail to stay alive out of print for 20 years this brutal and suspenseful tale of survival in a frozen future by chuck dixon and jorge zafino is one of the most influential comic works of the 80s Zafino's stunning work on this story is considered his masterpiece and presented here in black and white for the first time. Winterworld, one word, not to be confused with the novel series Winter World, two words, was originally published by Eclipse in 1987, but I can only find the IDW reprint from 2009. That's where this opening came from, by the way. In the foreword to this collection, originally printed in Winter World number three, back in 1988, Dixon talks about the first time he saw Zafino's art and how it reminded him of the best work of Joe Kubert, Tim Truman, and Richard Corbin, and he is right. Zafino was not a flashy artist. His lines are sketchy, they're loose, he draws ugly, desperate people and makes them look terrifying but somehow it is gorgeous to look at at the same time. The action is sudden and violent, and it moves the story along with perfect pacing. Dixon's script is not flashy or heroic either. Winter World is a story of desperate people willing to do desperate things to survive in a brutal, unforgiving, frozen near-future world. I ended up reading the entire first miniseries. I've never read this before. It really is as amazing as a trade solicit claims. How a comic like this gets forgotten and falls out of print for more than 20 years blows my mind. And like, I gotta say, this world where the, I mean, like, obviously it got hot and then it got really cold. That's what the earth does, right? And we're stuck in like a new ice age. And you see like people that are farming inside of like old baseball, you know, like, 
old baseball, uh, yeah, you know, diamonds, ball diamonds, not, not baseball diamonds, yeah. not baseball diamonds, baseball stadiums, I guess, you know, stadiums, yeah, right, right, right. domed stadiums and shit, and like because they talk is, about the they talk about the tiers and what they yeah. mean are the rows of seats, yeah, where they're planting the stadium seating, like where they like plant crops, but yeah. it's just awful and everyone is just always cold and like even there's people that would give themselves to slave traders because they could be somewhere warm <laughs> it's just horrifying this is a terrible nightmarish version of ecological collapse on earth i do not want to live there <laughs> i'm giving this a massive bias though i i mean i'd rather be cold than hot but uh, so far, it's looking like Xenozoic Tales is the winner. Um, I don't know, man. So far from from our, our reviews. Yeah, this was great. Uh, Chuck Dixon as the voice of, you know, yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to take that back because I'm not I don't think it's a morality tale. Chuck Dixon isn't like preaching any like no. environmental stuff here. No, He's just saying, hey, yeah, this is what happens. This is just a desperate tale of survival. That's all it it's is. It's a desperate tale of survival. Yeah. It's really, it's really good. Jorge Zafino uh, was a tremendous talent uh, who he passed away. If you can get your hands on the IDW version, uh, there is a pinup by his son it's, at the beginning that is incredible. Drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. But yeah, Zafino, uh, Jorge Zafino's art was, like you say, it was just, it was scratchy and sparse. Not everything was super duper detailed because when you're outside, everything's covered in snow. Yeah. And so, like, sometimes it's just, like, some lines and then lots of white space. Right. You know? And, and the way he used that negative space was uh, masterful. Uh, but then, you know, he next thing you know, they're in the sewers and it's, like, just as gorgeous looking. So yeah. this is a huge buy. I really liked this. I'd never read Winter World before. Uh, I, I take that back. I did read – I think we did read and review – um, the first issue of the sequel that came Winter out. C, I think, when it came back. Yeah. Um, when Butch Geist drew it. Yeah. Um, Dixon and, and Butch Geist. But this is the first time I'd ever read the original. It's great. It's very, very good. It's a buy it. Trading in our winter coats for bikinis, it's Kill Raven number one from Marvel Comics. 2002 was the year. It's written and drawn by Alan Davis. And here's your solicit. An all-new sci-fi thriller. In the not-so-distant future, Martians have invaded our world and laid waste to our civilization. Now, only Jonathan Raven, the gladiator known as Kill Raven, and his band of free men, freemen, free sorry, freemen. stand between Earth and utter annihilation. Dig sci-fi action? Love great visuals? Then grab your tub of popcorn and get ready for an all-new adventure from the great Alan Davis. Is it all-new? Because, like, Kill Raven was around before this. There was uh, there are many many Kill Raven yeah. stories before this. <laughs> we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, I've always thought it was so wild that Marvel hitched their future to what was originally an out of continuity graphic novel that borrowed heavily from H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. <laughs> like literally, we're talking about Martian tripods. Yeah, it's those Martians that invaded. Yeah. No question. It takes place in like 2002 or something. Like the Martian invasion is very early on. Like yeah. we're past the Martian well, the, invasion. The Marvel story just assumes the Martians won. It doesn't end where like they got the flu and they died. Yeah. Like well, they, I mean, and, and you know, it doesn't take like it didn't come out in the 20s or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, it like, and I take that back. It wasn't the the graphic novel came later. There was a P. Craig Russell graphic novel, um, but there was a Kill Raven feature in like one of those Marvel anthology books, like Amazing Adventures or something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's 
like he's been doing this since the 70s uh, this guy and marvel was like yeah hg wells plus kill raven plus time equals the guardians of the galaxy yeah it was 2018 when the marvel universe was attacked by Martians, but it was like, oh, was it 2018? Yeah, I think they pushed that back though because, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> for a reason, I mean, uh, but obvious. obviously, <laughs> but like, I, I think, I think, uh, because uh, Marvel decided that this, uh, this future would lead directly into the 31st century of the original Guardians of the Galaxy. That is wild. It's <laughs> uh, really despite, wild. <laughs> and that is despite the fact that it seems to exist in a complete vacuum. Devoid of any reference to the Marvel Universe. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. Th- this is set close enough to our present that some people still remember game shows, but there's no mention of the Avengers, Spider-Man, or anyone no. that would have attempted to fight off the Martian invasion. Weird, right? That's It's bizarre. Uh, anyway, Alan Davis loves Kill Raven, and it shows. Yeah. There isn't anything especially groundbreaking in these pages at all, but still, it's pretty fun and definitely action-packed. Kill Raven's Freeman have stepped right out of the gladiator arena, but in a Joey, do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> sort of way. No shame though, because those guys and gals are rocking those weird suspender thongs. Alan Davis's art is excellent as usual. If you like that sort of thing, Matt Baum is fond of saying that he's seen everything Alan Davis will ever draw. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't do a great job drawing it. I agree. I, I've never said he's bad. I just feel like I've uh-huh. seen everything he's ever drawn. I get it. You can say that about a lot of artists that have been around forever. Look, we've had some fun here today. Made some loving jokes at Kill Raven's expense. But that's because there isn't really anything else to say. Kill Raven number one is your standard warrior badass meets orphan story with a comp- competently written script and excellent art. I'm giving it a skim it. It's a strong skim it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, this is perfectly good Alan Davis art. Why he wanted to do Kill Raven, I'm not sure. And like, Dude they, loves Kill Raven. They wanted to he update Kill Raven, but not Kill Raven's clothes. <laughs> like, no, no, they didn't, the they, this, is, this is, in fact, not an update of Kill Raven. Not this is all. just, like, Kill Raven uh, makes a lateral move. Yeah. And it's just a, a different take on Kill Raven. It is more Kill Raven. <laughs> That's all yeah. It is. Um, there was, a, in, in fact, there was a year prior, two years prior, actually, 2000, I think it was, there was a Kill Raven one shot by Joseph Michael Lindsner yeah. of Dawn fame. Yeah. Uh, that didn't go anywhere. And the reason I didn't choose that one is because I'm not really a fan of Joseph Michael Lindsner. Um, and, and at least I thought that this Alan Davis thing would like have a story that might lead to something eh, interesting to talk about. You know, no, 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 not really. It doesn't. It's just he's got he's got really cool collapsible weapons, though, that like I'll give him that. And, and like the moral of the story is if you want to fight Martians with laser guns, you gotta have a sword. <laughs> like, OK. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. And also you got to look really great in a bikini. Yeah. In a, in a, in a Borat bikini. It's a Borat bikini. One thing that an armored Martian can't do well, shoot his gun, you know? <laughs> no. Like, oh, come on, come on. It's like all over the place. <laughs> I mean, look, man, these are these are gladiators. I, these I, are I, successful gladiators. I suppose they are glad. They're also famous. People know who they are. Now, I, I don't care about Kill Raven. I never really did. I never really understood 
the weird oh, yeah, little no, I do not kill, I do not care about Kill yeah. Raven at all. I Sorry, never Laura. really understood that weird little corner of the MCU that it, this supposedly took place in that they forced into Guardians continuity. Like, I, I it doesn't, I don't get it at all. And because, <laughs> like, do we need Kill Raven to be in like the no continuity? Is there no, anything? just like we don't. It's like. like it's like, hey, do you remember? It's like somebody at Marvel was like, oh, hey, man, remember what? You remember what a great success it was when Jack Kirby set up Commandy, and 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 then uh, we they could tie that into the future of the DC. No, nobody remembers that. Yeah, and there's nobody no reason wants, to do it. <laughs> nobody wants you to tie down your post-apocalypse. No, to a, to a deadline. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. I I'm gonna give it a skim it because it's not. Bad. It's just bizarre. no nothing bad about it. There's and just, I just it's just it is. It's it just, impossible it, it, for me to care. I'll say <laughs> it simply exists. Yeah. Um. But you know what? Uh. Do you remember? You probably don't. When Bendis was riding high on the Avengers books. Okay. And it was the heroic age, and they brought back just Avengers as well, sure. alongside new Avengers, sure. and it was like Iron Man and Cap and stuff. Yeah. And they did like a future timeline story with Kang and the and Avengers Next and whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and part of that was like the boy that would grow up to be Kill Raven exists oh, in the yeah. present day. Mar- and it's like like very John Connor type stuff. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I do remember that. Get out of town. Yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> Last time we did a real cold earth, this time we do a real hot one. This is Just a Pilgrim, number one from Black Bull, 2001. It was written by Garth Ennis with art by Carlos Ezguerra. Back in the year 2000, Wizard Entertainment CEO Garib Seamus decided yeah. to shift gears from, I was going to say reporting, we'll say writing <laughs> about comics in the pages of um, Wizard Magazine and start printing comics. Just a Pilgrim was one of the titles and would see two limited series printed before Black Bowl folded in 2002. It just, it was too beautiful for this world. It had two good years. It burned bright <laughs> and faded away. Yep. Here's your story set up. Eight years after the sun expanded, burning Venus from existence, the earth has left a waterless desert with small groups of survivors scouring the bottom of the dried oceans for shipwrecks that provide temporary shelter. Gangs of lunatics prey on the weak, while animals mutated by the sun's radiation feast on anything their tentacles can grab. One man has survived with only his faith in God and his Time Warner carbine rifle, which I thought was kind of funny. That I thought was very funny. (laughs) As the title says, he's just a pilgrim in an unholy land, but get in his way and you're sure to end up in hell. Apocalyptic Western is one of those genres that wasn't invented by Garth Ennis, but I'd argue few writers have the skill, dark wit, and nihilistic view of humanity to pull it off with the same style and savoir-faire. The Pilgrim is not a merciful man of God, but more of a hardened religious zealot who carries himself as the vengeance of God. He's tall. He's ugly. He's a mysterious man of few words with a cross tattooed on his face. And it's just borrowing a br- oh, branded. Actually, it looks like a burn, like I a brand. Maybe I thought it was like a red cross tattoo, but whatever. I, well, I mean, I think it's like his fleshy flesh, yeah, you know, from being be. burnt. 
Ennis is borrowing all the best parts of Clint Eastwood's man with no name spaghetti Western character, but adding faith in a hard, angry God to the equation. Ezcara is a Spanish comic artist that became a legend working on British comics like 2000 AD, so he's probably the perfect choice for this title. His detailed line and sense of scope brings massive scale to the story, with panels of the pilgrim standing in front of the wreckage of a once-sunken super tanker. Just a Pilgrim is an open love letter to Sergio Leone westerns and George Miller's Mad Max films. While it's not reinventing the genre, it's a very solid story featuring an anti-hero just cruel enough to survive a world where the sun is slowly burning humanity from existence. Compared to Ennis's other famous post-apocalyptic comic, Crossed, Just a Pilgrim looks reserved and even tame, but I think I might prefer Ennis when he holds back a little bit. I, I really enjoyed both of these Just a Pilgrim miniseries, but like I said, Black Bull, it was just too beautiful for this world, and we would never see these again. You may be able to find these. Dynamite reprinted them in like one big edition. They're not mm -hmm. in print right now, so you're going to have to stumble across it if you want to find them. I'm giving I mean, this the a back, buy the back, They're not worth anything. The back issues are out there. Yeah, I mean, if you can find them, they're out there, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm giving this a buy it, though. It, this was great Garth Ennis, great Ezkara art, and it's just is what it is. Nasty, mean, post-apocalyptics with a bad-ass cowboy religious zealot, I guess. <laughs> that's, a, that's so many things. You know, I didn't really love this. The art is great. Let's get that out of the way. Um, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this, but Carlos Ezcara is not just a Spanish comic artist known for working on 2008. He is the co-creator of Judge Dredd. Is he the co-creator of Judge Dredd? He is the co-creator oh, of Judge Dredd, yes. And like R.I.P. Carlos Ezcara, um, he is a tremendous artist and nobody does like gross, dirty, dusty guys oh, yeah. with guns like him. Um, like like everything John McRae ever drew and Steve Dillon ever drew in this vein, preacher, hitman, whatever, it's because of Carlos Ezcara, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the the line art is gorgeous. I think Paul Mounts' colors are terrible. Um, they are oversaturated. I didn't know if it was There's what somehow, I was reading. They're oversaturated and somehow also dull. I don't get how that could be. And like maybe that's the reprint. I think it's the reprint because the comic. But like I thought that like this, this. I thought that the colors of this comic looked like garbage, which um, made me chuckle because friend of the show, Love Slave Ziggurat Comptroller Brian Domingos famously hates Paul Mounts <laughs> and he will badmouth Paul Mounts every time it comes up. Um, and so I can't wait to tell him that I hated the way that this color comic was colored. So I dug out one of the issues. I didn't find the first issue, but I dug out one of the issues of the second mini series and Paul Mounts colored that one as well. And it did not look like this. Maybe it's the transfer. So maybe I it's the, re maybe it's the reprint. Uh, I think it you know, maybe it's some, maybe it's something else, uh, but so I'm, I'm trying not to judge it. I'm, I'm not going to judge it based on the coloring. Um, but the artwork by the Ascara part of it is beautiful. Um, however, uh, I, this just didn't really do anything for me, I guess. I don't know. I, this seemed like a Garth Ennis with like a throwaway idea that he didn't have to try too hard on. You know what I mean? Like, I think I've read this sort of thing better from him in other places. 
it's not that like I was in a bad mood because everything about this week put us in a bad mood. Um, yeah. <laughs> these stories are happy. <laughs> they're not good. They're not feel good stories. No. no. I mean, I guess the closest, the closest thing to like a happy fun, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever is Cadillac is a uh, Xenozoic tales. And that's only sort of, yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I just, this is, a, this was a skimmit for me because it's like, Okay, well, this guy is the saint of killers, but also where he loves God instead of hates God. And that's, like, not interesting. <laughs> well, there's, uh, there's a lot more that happens. I mean, like, this first issue you're meeting, uh, but, like, this, both miniseries definitely took this character to a place, and we learned quite a bit. Well, so. a- except I can only judge this issue. I so. get that. I'm, re- no, I'm I, reviewing this comic. I get that. Um, so uh, this is a skimmit from me. Uh, if somebody were to say to me, like you are saying, that, like, you know, you just got to, like, you got to give it some uh, some time and it, and it goes places, then I'd be like, all right, well, I'll keep reading. Um, but based on this, though, I'm just like, eh. You know, if you think it looks good, then check it out. You know what, Matt? We have gone an entire episode without having an apocalypse that takes place in our own backyard. And it's about damn time. It's the End League, number one, from Dark Horse Comics. The year was 2008. It's written by Rick Remender with art by Matt Broom. Here's your solicit. And let me tell you what. It is a doozy. (laughs) A thematic merging of the Lord of the Rings and Watchmen. The End League follows a cast of the last remaining supermen and women as they embark on a desperate and perilous journey through a world dominated by evil in hopes of locating the one remaining artifact that can save humanity, the Hammer of Thor. Not that Thor. It's a different Thor. A Thor. A Thor. The you know, there's of Thor's all, Thor. There's <laughs> Thors all over the place, okay? Yeah. For his return to the world of comics, renowned artist Matt Broom, whose only credit listed here is Wildcats, teams up with critically acclaimed writer Rick Remender, who had only one critically acclaimed title to his belt at this point in time, and that was Fear Agent, for this Dark Horse Comics' newest superhero series. So a lot of claims are made. And like once I read the whole like Lord of the Rings and Watchmen, like I was like, nope. In a world where Earth's greatest hero, a Superman analog named Astonish Man, accidentally caused a near extinction level event due to his arrogance and cynicism. Terrible name, by the way. (laughs) Astonish Man. Terrible name. It's real bad. The world's surviving heroes strive to protect what's left of humanity during the end times. It's a really great setup. I think it's a neat idea. Sure. And it's a pretty solid take on a Superman who's lost faith in humanity. Uh, you know, not we get a lot of Superman where it's like, what a Superman, but evil. Like, this is Superman where it's like, he did the whole Superman thing, and then humanity just wore him down to a nub. Yeah, like what if Superman just, just like, like got sick of our shit? You know, <laughs> yeah, and it's like he's not, you know, he's not like sinking continents or anything, yeah. but he's just like, I guess I'll go save these people, whatever, and then he f***s it up. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the best thing about this slog of a read by future superstar Rick Remender. I certainly wasn't expecting anything light and fun, but Remender splits his time between explaining way too much, like with pages and pages of Astonish Man detailing the entire history of the world, to barely explaining anything at all, with characters shouting first names at each other and referencing personal connections as though this weren't the first time we were ever encountering them. 
and for all the big ideas in the DNA of the material, the story is just kind of boring. Matt Broom is a former Wildstorm artist that survived the 90s and went on to do a number of projects for Marvel and DC. Apparently, he left comics for a while, uh, according to the solicit, and his work definitely improved during his time away. That said, it's not all that interesting to look at, and the character designs range from boring to straight-up terrible. Yeah. And the actual layouts make little sense, with characters sometimes just floating, posed in mid-panel. Like, there's one especially where it's like, this character is a speedster, and she is literally just, like, floating in midair. Okay, I, I'm looking at it right now, and I think I think they cropped it, and she's putting her hand on is something. Is she supposed to be, like, running? And, like, hopping over something, but they cropped it just enough so you can barely see the hand, and she does appear to be just sort of, like, like She's just like hovering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bad crop job, basically. But that's that's a layout. That's not a crop. That's layout. That's yeah, a right. choice that the artist made. Right, or a bad layout job, whatever. But, yeah, like, but he made the choice to frame that panel that way, which makes it, like, very unintelligible. Uh, one positive note were the colors by Matt's wife, Wendy Broom. Uh, they are appropriately bleak, except for the occasional striking flashes of neon green, uh, especially at the beginning where it's like, uh, you know, the nuclear apocalypse or whatever. Uh, I thought that that like it was very like Underworld unleashed right? Where it's yeah, like, yeah, big bright greens out of nowhere. I remember reading the end league number one ages ago and being unimpressed by it. Then time has not done anything to change that opinion. This is far from Remender's best work, even for 2008. I'm giving this a leave it. I really just did not like it. Yeah. I remembered, I, I must've misremembered this cause I thought it was better in my head for some reason. And then went back and read it. It's just too many characters, too many ideas, too many borrowed homages from too many different universes where it's just like, it's one thing if you're going to do, this is my homage to the justice league. This is my homage to the Avengers. And I'm not yeah. saying you have to even be slavish to that, but like, let's not do like, Oh, the, the teen Titans are there. And so is this wild storm group you've never heard of. And then there's this thing that sort of looks like this other thing. That's from a thing like settle down. There's also like a giant, <laughs> there's also like a giant spider creature yeah. for some reason. I mean, and I don't mean like Spider-Man. I mean, he's no. like a spider. Yeah. But gigantic. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's just too many ideas here. And it, it seems like, I can't really tell if it's Reminder's brain exploding or Broom's brain exploding or both their brains getting clapped together and exploding all over. But it doesn't look great. I like Broom as an artist. I liked a lot of what he did at Wildstorm. Yeah, I mean. This yeah. is not his best work by any no. means. And I can't tell if it was just like too much. Like they just tried to do too much and, and smash it all into the book. And somebody just needed to go, hey. Let's slow down. <laughs> I'm like, maybe there's an idea here because there are good ideas here. It, it's just too much. And by the end, I just wanted it to stop. I'm going to leave it. <laughs> like, like, that's enough. Like, I, I mean, I it wasn't this. fun to read. No. All the other ones were fun to read, at least. Right. And like when when you do certain homages to things and you and you recognize like, oh, that's Ghost Rider. Like there's a character, you know, riding a horse in this with fire and stuff behind him, whatever. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's kind of like Ghost Rider. Yeah. yeah. But he's like a demon too you know like yeah, oh he's got chains so right. he, you know it, like i mean that's kind of fun but that's every page every page somebody else is forced onto you in well, this but the, and yeah and, and then there's also like an, there's like, also 
we're expected There's to care. A- we're expected to know who they are. We're expected right. to be invested instantly. There's no buildup. It's just like, okay. <laughs> well, and, but then there's also Sorry, like you an couldn't action- do this at DC, you know, or whatever. Right. There's, there's also an actual demon that was like working for somebody else yeah. who then like betrays the team. And it's like, well, what the hell is this now? Yeah. And it's like, no, too much. It's too much. I'm giving it a leave it. I'm going to stick with the hot earth and talk about Wasteland number one from Oni. Year was 2006. This was written by Anthony Johnston with art by Christopher Mitten. Here's your uh, setup. Wasteland ran for 60 issues before the series ended in 2015. It was nominated for a Harvey for Best New Series back in 2006, and it's one of those long-running series I remember selling well and getting quite a bit of buzz, but I think The Walking Dead was still getting a lot of attention as the black-and-white post-apocalyptic zombie comic that everyone should be reading at the time. In this nightmares version of future Earth, we're once again in a punishing desert environment, but the actual eco-apocalypse happened so long ago that no one really knows what occurred. Sort of like Commandy, I guess. A group of religious sun worshippers called Sunners refer to the cataclysm as the big wet, but their theories are more the stuff of fables than actual history. The story follows a scavenger named Michael who has mild telepathic abilities. He's wandering the desert trying to survive. Along his travels, he fights mutant humans who seem to be a little more intelligent than zombies, and he discovers a machine that still functions and seems to be talking about a safe space where life might be much more like Earth before the big wet. Gross. Yeah, it is kind of gross. I can see how this comic drew a lot of comparisons to The Walking Dead, but I also don't think they're fair. Now, I've only read the first issue, but the differences are instantly noticeable. This vision of Earth is far enough away from the big wet that it's part of the mystery of what happened. There are a few select people that are starting to demonstrate psychic gifts, so there's sci-fi aspects here, too. Mitten's art is very good. Black and white comic. Black and white comics are not forgiving, so there's really nowhere to hide. Luckily, he doesn't have to and does a really solid job on the visual storytelling. He's got this sort of manga-informed style that helps a writer like Johnston, whose script relies on visual cues a lot. The dialogue is its sparse, which comes with this genre, I suppose. And there's some future slang, but it's not annoying. In fact, it makes sense. You have characters saying things like sun, damn it. And, you know, yelling about goat, damn it. Cause like the sun is always killing everyone and all we have are goats to eat. So I get it. (laughs) What the shock. Nobody's running around saying what the shock. Right. Oh, by the way, goats seem to be the main source of protein and maybe water too, because they drink. Um, I tried to, I had to stop myself from thinking too hard about what goat water meant. Yeah. I didn't want to know. Because that really only means one thing, yeah. right? Uh, hopefully it's goat milk. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Wasteland is a comic series that I'm actually sorry I missed. And now that I've read the first issue, I really would like to go and dig into this series. I'm giving this a buy it. That will never happen. I, I, somebody that has made that that has made that proclamation about many of these things sure. we've reviewed. But yeah, you know what? I was I was stunned to learn that this ran for sixty issues. I know. I, I I remember it fondly. You and I were in the trenches in two thousand and six. Um, yeah, and like the I ben mean, Temple Smith covers like like Ben Temple Smith covers. You, yeah, you can't forget. Uh, them. Yeah, it's really, it's just a, it's a post-apocalyptic Western and 
it's great. And and I think I, I will say like the only thing that maybe caused it to not stand out was the fact that in 2006, every comic was post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because The Walking Dead happened. And it's like, next thing you know, you've got like, George, like actual George Romero writing comic books. Uh, and the bad comic books. Oh, Don't they were terrible. Them. They're not oh, good. Oh, God, they were bad. Um, but yeah, it's just like every comic, on, like every third comic on the stands was some sort of horror, zombie, apocalypse, whatever. Yeah. And then came Wasteland, which at least to me did not stand out as being different, but obviously it resonated because it ran for five years or, you know, 60 issues, however long that took in, in, in those days, uh, however it took them, however long that took them to put out. But I thought the art was tremendous. I think Christopher Mitten is great. Like he's still around today. I love him. He is really good. Um, and Anthony Johnston is also a very talented creator. Like these guys are still relevant today. And uh, this is a huge buy it. I really enjoyed it. Like based on no, like only like I remember unpacking it out of a box and putting it on the shelf. That's it. I've never looked inside this comic before today uh, or before last night, I guess. And I thought it was awesome. I the, really enjoyed it. The book actually has theme music you can download. So I'll have to download and plug that in here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Need more THN comic reviews? Check out our ludicrous speed reviews over at twitternerd.com. And if you want to know more about the comics we just talked about, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info and hit us up in the Back Issues channel of our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we move on, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN Private Collection. Which one was your favorite read and which had the best apocalypse? You know, I think Wasteland was the one that I was most interested in because, like, I wanted to see where the... The hardest part with these, just like you said, this is not a happy comic. It's going to be very feel bad you know storytelling and you've got to pull people in and be like do you want to spend time in this horrible place and that was difficult for a media like get into a lot of these i i really like just a pilgrim back in the day but i think the one that interested me the most was wasteland because i, I legit want to see where this goes and i can't believe i didn't read any of it back in the day i know it blows my mind that i didn't Although I think the best apocalypse was probably in the pages of the Legion where the earth just died. <laughs> it just fell apart in front of everybody more or less. Yeah. I mean, cause really that's, that's that what it'll be. Shit. Like that's, that's <laughs> what know? it's going to be. Right. Like, it's just going to be like, well, we did it. No, it's not going to be like that, Joe. The earth's still going to be here and we're going to be gone. So. No, no, no. But I mean, but that's, but that's, that's how the apocalypse will be. Right. It's not going to be like, Oh no, zombies now. It'll be like, nope, we just killed the planet. That's just that we did it. It's we screwed up and it's over now. There won't like there won't be any like space cities or big explosions. It'll <laughs> no, but, probably not. It'll just, but know. it but it also won't be like, oh no, science gone amok and now it's commandy. It's no. like that's not gonna happen. Uh, for me, it is Commandy because I went from not being interested to loving that comic. I, I just like I did a complete 180 uh, and was and was convinced of what I should have known already. And that is is that Jack Kirby can make any concept seem cool. As far as the best apocalypse, the apocalypse that I'd be most uh, that I'd most want to, I guess, exist in 
is probably uh, Xenozoic Tales. Oh, yeah. It's the most livable. At least they have, it it is the most livable because, yes, the earth is flooded, but it's not, you know, people are still wearing normal clothes. There were still societies, and it wasn't like. They have, yeah, they have culture. Right, exactly. It's it's more like Water World than anything, where it's like, yeah, we've got, we we have nomadic tribes and societies and blah, blah, blah. And if you're lucky, you live in the one that's in the city. Yeah, I guess. All this talk about the end of the world has us really down. Luckily, the Swamp Thing droppings that I foraged have sprouted in the Teagen Sanctum Sanctorum. Yeah. And the whole place is covered in lush vegetation. Joe. And poop. It's a little more humid in here than I normally like. So uh, let's tell these nerds about what we're excited to read next week. And then we can go back downstairs to the AC. What do you say? It's just, <laughs> just dank. I believe the word is dank. It is dank. My pick for next week is Golden Rage, number one from Image Comics. It's $3.99. It's written by Chrissy Williams with art by Lauren Knight. And here is your solicit. In a world where older women who have been deemed useless to society are abandoned on an island, Golden Rage documents their golden years of making friends, baking dessert, and fighting to the death. Created by writer Chrissy Williams, who is uh, the editor of Die and the Wicked and the Divine, and artist Laura Knight of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and also colorist Sophie Dog- Dodgson, uh, who colors Bitterroot and also Tank Girl. This is the first issue of a brand new five-issue miniseries where Battle Royale meets the Golden Girls. There you go. Uh, yes, I'm hooked. I'm I'm already in 1,000%. quite the premise, uh, this, I'll say that. <laughs> the, pre- the premise sounds amazing. Uh, Matt Bomb, I cannot believe that your pick of the week is not Sword of Azrael number one. Joe Patrick, I'm done picking Azrael books because every time I, they get me excited for Azrael to come back, guess what? It sucks, okay? So now you're going to have to sell me on it, DC. I love Azrael. Totally love that character, but they have ruined that character time and time again. So I'm not picking Fair. you. I'm picking Frankenstein, New World, number one from Dark Horse. It's $3.99. It's written by Mike Mignola, Thomas Snedgowski, and Christopher Golden. It took three dudes to write this. I definitely think that's how you say it, Snedgowski. Yeah, pretty sure that's not it. With art by Peter Bergting. Here's your solicit. Magnola's Frankenstein monster returns safely tucked away inside the hollow earth where humanity survived after Ragnarok. Precious young Lijah receives visions of new darkness taking root on the surface. Defying her elders, Lijah awakens the timeless oracle, once known as Frankenstein, to investigate the warnings and perhaps even explore the new world above. Frankenstein, new world from Mike Magnola, Thomas Snigowski, it's Snigowski. I'm Snigowski, maybe. I don't know. Christopher Golden and artist Peter Bergting explores a new chapter. There's in the just world so of many unex- There's so many unexpected consonants in those names. I know. Like, what are you? What's a guy supposed to do? So this is a new four-part miniseries, right? And it's the first story to be set chronologically after the conclusion of BPRD, The Devil You Know, which, as we all know, concluded with the world being destroyed, (laughs) basically. The frogs win, and they take over. Reclaimed by the frog creatures, yeah. Now, in the final issue of BPRD, we get a shot, a glimpse 
of Frankenstein who has been in the hollow earth hiding for years and years and years and years. And that was it. It, Like that typical Mike Mignola stuff they love to do where you just get like this picture of something. You go, what is that? That is awesome. Tell me about that. They're finally telling us about that. Now, there was another Mike Mignola Frankenstein series that got canceled after the first issue and it was due to COVID. And also Scott Alley was a monster and his fingers were all over it. So they pulled it. That was called Frankenstein Undone. His fingers were all over it and also a lot of people. Yeah. That was called Frankenstein Undone. It has nothing to do with this. This is just that story. This is the next story of what happens after the frogs took over the world in BPRD. I got to see what's going on Heck here. Heck yeah, I'm into that. Kick I didn't ass. know that. <laughs> Love this. The THN trade of the week for August 3rd. Guess what? It's my birthday. Oh. It's Avengers Epic Collection of the Kang War. Maybe sound a little bit more enthusiastic about it, Matt. Oh. That was kind of bad. That was kind of pitiful. Oh. It's from uh, <laughs> Marvel Comics. I assume that Matt knows what company puts out the Avengers. Uh, it's 19.99. It's written by Steve Englehart. That's not the right price either. It's Marvel. Oh, it's like okay. Well, it doesn't matter. It's I from didn't. Marvel Comics. It's trade paperback. Oh, it's an epic collection, which means it's $40. Yeah, at $39.90, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's written by Steve Englehart with art by a bunch of people. It collects Avengers 129 through 149, Giant Size Avengers 2 through 4, material from Giant Size Avengers number 5, Marvel Treasury Edition number 7, Foom number 12, which I think is a fan magazine. Maybe. Uh, And then here's a description for you. Throughout his Avengers run, Steve Englehart slowly built the mysterious Mantis into one of the 70s uh, 70s Marvel's most intriguing characters. That is not true. (laughs) Here, her tail. 44.99. Sorry. Oh, but dang. Well, I mean, it's it's thick, man. It's huge. It's a phone book. That yeah, I mean, twenty regular sized issues, uh, four giant sized issues, a treasury edition, and then also what I assume is an interview from Foom number twelve, got it, um, or some pinups, um, or both. So that's a lot of content. Here, her tale reaches its cosmic climax in a saga spanning space and time. The Celestial Madonna. Oh no, we reviewed it. We actually reviewed this uh, one of these issues, it, it, Giant Size Avengers. Uh, it, the the wedding. Oh no! Yeah, dude. When Kang the Conqueror. I'm so, I'm all over the place because my emotions are a tangle. <laughs> when Kang the Conqueror arrives, the action begins. Before it's over, Kang, Ramatut, and Amortis will have you time twisted in two, and that's just for starters. The origin of the Vision is revealed, and he and the Scarlet Witch wed as well as Mantis and the Ghost of the Swordsman and a third plant, man-shaped plant Oh, that's plant not until much later. <laughs> no, 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 that's oh, no, it. that no. happens here. You're right. That it's happens in, here. It, it, is the, it is the Ghost of the Swordsman in inhabiting the body, body of a Kotati yes. alien shaped like the swordsman. It's real. <laughs> it's a swamp real thing. Weird. It's a, it's a plant that thought it was a man. You know. Yeah. Guess what? You know what? Just give her a sex tuber, and it's fine. You're married. Gross. That's what happens in Swamp Thing. You know it. He yeah. gives her a sex tuber, and she not eats it. Call it a sex tuber, <laughs> and, then, and then she's pregnant. God. Then the Avengers put out a call for new members. Thank God. Beast, Hellcat, and Moondragon join while Captain America, Yellowjacket, and the Wasp return. Each will be tested in a second war with Kang and the Squadron Sinister. It's a classic conflict that teams the Avengers with the heroes of the Old West. Now, 
I know that I got I got out of sorts there, and I apologize for my outburst because we reviewed that stupid wedding issue, oh, and it's the worst. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but um, Roger, uh, pardon me, Steve Englehart's run on Avengers is not the worst. No, it's great, uh, especially those issues where it's like Hellcat joins and stuff like that. Beast is there. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And uh, this is a fun collection of material. With the exception of that mantis crap. Well, it's super Kang centric. And look, every time we and Kang is going to be a big bad, the MCU. So you want to know where big all this bad. stuff is coming from. This yes. is a great thing to read because we constantly go back and make fun of this stuff and laugh about it and poke holes in it, just like we did with Vision and the Scarlet Witch. And then what did they do? Lift stuff directly out of those comics we made fun of they, they and sure did. put it in the show. So yeah, they there sure did. is a chance that Mantis becomes the <laughs> celestial Madonna in an upcoming Marvel movie, baby. So here's what, so here's what we have to look forward to. All in my shot. <laughs> right. um, here's our, here's our shot based on the THN's official stance. The THN's official prediction is that the MCU will see Mantis as portrayed by Bob Clementine in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Will at some point meet and then wed Kate Bishop's stepdad from yes. Hawkeye. <laughs> yes, and he is secretly a plant man. <laughs> I, I think maybe or we might. He we may not get the plant a man. Plant man. <laughs> we might not get the plant man Joe, stuff. Maybe that's why he's acting so weird. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe him already being a plant man is still up for debate. It explains a lot. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You can find links with more info on our picks oh, in God. our show what notes. The Secret Invasion or the Kotati and not the scrolls at all. <laughs> oh no! I, I then I will. I, oh, I don't know what I'll, I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> my brain just. Broke. I don't know what I do. I don't know what I'll do. I don't. I, I honestly don't. As always, we post our must-read picks on our Discord, Twitter, and on Facebook every Wednesday, so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop. Please let us know what you thought of our picks from this week and our picks for next week. Did we get it right? Are we way off base about the swordsman and his uh, weird plant body and his uh, strange human bug bride? She's not even an alien in the Marvel comics. She's a human being. At the end of phase six, people are going to go find this episode and say, oh, my God. Those guys called it all. (laughs) I don't want to be responsible for that, man. Excelsior! That is it for Teachin' 672. Next week, we're back to reviewing new comics, and we're going to give you a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra, too. Now, It'll be about how much everybody loves me, because it's my birthday. All right, take it easy, princess. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, comics you are currently reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call it THN, cover to cover. We're not doing it this Saturday, but we will be doing it next Saturday at 11 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page, but if you want to play along, you got to join our Discord, and there you will learn how you can chat and talk with us live on the show. And don't forget, we set you up with something to talk about. We call it The Question of the Week. This week's question is courtesy of Frank Cirillo via the aforementioned Discord. Let's talk about artists. 
that we weren't into when we first saw their work, but who grew on us over time the more we were exposed to their stuff. Which artist did you have to learn to love? It's a good one. And I already I know, love it. Yeah, I already know my answer. I know my, I knew mine immediately. Yeah. I even I I can even pinpoint the specific comics that turned me off at the beginning. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming like Frank did. You can post those uh, anywhere that THN can be found, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you can email them to us. You can uh, call in and leave them uh, as a voice message. You can email them to us. I may have already said that. You did. You can also uh, post them in the question of the week channel on our Discord, which is where most of these questions have been coming from. If you can't be on cover to cover with us live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline that I mentioned two times now, 402. No, I mentioned the email twice. Sorry. 402-819-4894 is that phone number. Uh, we will make you internet famous, just like Frank Cirillo. Uh, please, we ask that if you are going to leave a message, a recorded message, be it a voicemail or an MP3, you keep it on the short side because we have a lot of participants that uh, that call in live and we need to share the air. So if you're going to leave a message, uh, we love to hear from you, but please keep it short. If you're new to the show and you'd rather cram a sex tuber up your butt than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. <laughs> she didn't do that. She ate it like I'm you would with any sex this tuber. This person is super mad, right? So they're cramming it. Oh. The good news is you can hear the entire NFTHN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. If you cram the sex tuber, you won't get pregnant. Just little FYI. Oh, it's like Jesus is, yeah, it's like Jesus is, you know, blind spot or whatever. That's uh, whatever religious kids used to I say. I don't know, man. THN is a listener-supported <laughs> podcast, and it wouldn't be possible yeah, without you the religious generosity kids know what I'm talking about. of donors like our newest patron, Tom Barnett. I Tom know Barnett, that friggin' guy. Tom Barnett knew what he was getting into when he signed up for Patreon. So I don't want to hear about any of my sex tuber jokes, okay? <laughs> if you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. If you're a pervert like Tom, like sex tuber jokes, you can sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content, or you can just make a one-time donation via the PayPal's. Uh, wasn't sex tuber the name of John Constantine's band when he was in uh, when he was a teenager? I don't. I, I no, it, it was not. I know that was a joke. I know it was not. Do not contact me to tell me what it was. I know it wasn't sex tuber. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Matt Frewer. Frewer is an amazingly underrated character actor that you might know from shows like uh, Eureka. Uh, which is was a pretty great sci-fi show uh, not too long ago. He did hit it big in the 80s with the role of the computer-generated Max Headroom. See what I did there? Yeah. I did a little Max Headroom there. It wasn't very good. I'm sorry. I know. Max Headroom first premiered in commercials, but later got a bizarre two-season TV show that... Only Matt Baum loved. It's That's true. not true. I was the only one that liked it. <laughs> true. It's so weird. <laughs> this week, AMC announced a Max Headroom reboot is in the works, and tens of nerds over the age of 45 rejoiced. I, I know all of them, too. <laughs> you probably like, probably do. Uh, word to you, Max Headroom and Matt Frewer. I'm glad you're still getting work, buddy. Yeah, I actually man. really like Matt Frewer. He's I've liked fantastic. him for a really long time. I love that actor. Until yeah. next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or the retailer might just slap your face and remind you that John Constantine's band as a kid was called... 
mucous membrane. I this I knew that is already. The two-headed nerd. Signing off, you call yourself a fan. Remember, kids, if you like what you hear on Two Headed Nerd, you can always find our soundtrack listing in the notes. Taking us out of here, ladies and gentlemen, it's Venus of the Heart Cell by Mucus Membrane themselves. I think they're actually being called spider legs or something.